2: Hello, you're listening to The Three Questions. I'm Andy Richter, as usual. Um, I'm Andy Richter, and I am here today with uh, a woman who is on fire. A woman whose comedy career is stratospheric. Uh, It's Lauren Lapkus. Hi, Lauren.
3: (laughs) Wow, thank you. That was a really nice intro. (laughs) You are.
2: All of Hollywood is talking, is whispering your name. They're oh afraid to God. say it too loud. <laughs> uh, no, thank. Uh, nice. Thanks for doing this. Although thanks I for having see, me. I must say, every time I go to Earwolf, which is you know where the, we, where if I do, in normal times, uh, record a lot of these podcasts, I always see you there. You, you I must be there. I mean, or you must have been there when in normal times a lot.
3: Yeah. Yeah. I've clocked a lot of hours at Earwolf for sure. Yeah. It's kind of interesting doing it all from home now because um, I the, I think my biggest complaint about going anywhere is just being stuck in traffic and how like doing a podcast means you have to like drive for 40 minutes, then drive 40 minutes home. And it just makes it such a long thing. So now I just, you know, stumble from my bedroom over here and do it, which is kind of right.
2: nice. Put a yeah. top on. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, you are um, you are a Midwesterner. Are you not? Yeah, you're. Are you you're from Evanston? Is that right?
3: Yes, I'm from Evanston, Illinois, right outside of Chicago.
2: And uh, is that where you? Are you? Have you lived there your whole life? And
3: yeah, yeah, I was born in Chicago, but then my fe- my family moved to Evanston when I was a baby, and I grew up there. It's a great place. You you spent time in Chicago, so I mean, are you from? Oh no, with... I've,
2: I'm from Yorkville, which is out by Aurora. We're, oh, we're both Illinoisans. I you... Yeah.
3: Oh, okay. I mean, I
2: I. I I, I, you know, was born in Michigan or something. But when my my mom's family hometown is Yorkville, Illinois, and that's
3: where oh, okay. I grew
2: up after after my folks split up after they, they I my mom got divorced, we moved back home with my grandparents, and then I grew up there. I grew up in in Yorkville. So
3: where is um, Yorkville?
2: Straight west of Chicago. You know where Aurora oh, okay. is?
3: If yeah, yeah, yeah. Keep yeah.
2: going straight west. Yeah. Um, okay. But no, were you why Evanston? Were you folks involved at Northwestern or something?
3: Or no, just, you know, um, that's just where they ended I think up? it was just that it was a cool suburb. Like as far as suburbs go, it was like a, a, a seemingly great place to live. Um, good schools, it's a beautiful town. Good, yeah, good public schools for kids, and um, yeah, they just. It was kind of a. I don't think there was too much planning going into it but they found a house there and just moved but yeah yeah my mom my mom hadn't seen the house when they moved my dad called her on the phone and like saw the house and was like I found a, a good house and he like described it and she was like okay <laughs> so <laughs> <laughs> that's trust
2: yeah <laughs> um how, how, what did your folks do what do you folks do for
3: my dad's an architect. So that's part of the trust there is that you can trust that he's picking a good house. But uh-huh. um, and my mom was a preschool teacher for 40 years. She's retired, but she also taught first grade for a while in there. So, yeah.
2: Yeah. And are you the are you an only kid?
3: No, I have an older brother um, and he's in real estate and he has two kids. And so that's like, you know all happening over there that they all get to hang out all the time. And I, I don't, (laughs) I'm very jealous. You're the weirdo that ran away. (laughs) Yes.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Do you, do you, I mean, do you miss living in the Midwest? Do you ever have like go back to Chicago fantasies at some point?
3: I do. And I I actually think I had a dream last night about this. Not that I'm going to bore you with my dream, but I was thinking about how I, uh, in my dream, I was saying, I really wish we could live here. I, I just love being there. I love being, I love being in Chicago. I love the weather. I love the the memories that I have there. Like, I miss it so much. But I think, I mean, I, there's so much to love out here. And I think moving out here was so scary because when you're from the Midwest, there's like so many preconceived notions about L.A. that y- just that it's going to be like a horrible shithole with superficial assholes, I think, is kind of the vibe. And it can be, to be,
2: <laughs> to be fair to the
3: Midwest. That can yeah. that, that can be your experience, you know? Yes, that is true. But yeah. I, I think of course we, you know, we find our people out here, and so it's not yeah. like that all the time. But um but thinking back to just like my days doing improv in Chicago, like it's just a sort of nice existence with uh low stakes drama, which is great.
2: Yeah, yeah. Were you a funny kid? <laughs> like were you always kind of and were um, you yeah. rewarded for being funny? You know, I mean sometimes little girls being funny is not such a it's not. Yeah,
3: culture. I think um I think of myself as like being a really shy kid when I was growing up and I often would panic about um different types of things. Like I remember in kindergarten, we had to make stone soup, which is from a book. And it's like a thing where you make the soup and everyone puts in like weird shit and then you eat it. And I really panicked and I went home crying. Like, I feel like I was doing stuff like that in my mind as a kid, like a lot, like just panicking about situations I didn't want to be in and not knowing how to deal and I started to develop like a sense of humor more and more as I was getting older. And I mean, watching, t- I watched so much TV. So, so much of my sense of humor comes from like watching SNL and um, all comedies, every Comedy Central Premium Blend episode that ever existed. Uh-huh. <laughs> I've seen them all. Um, but I feel like that kind of helped me start start to like see what I was into. And I became more of a class clown as I was growing up and in, in school. So I think people saw me that way as I it was in middle school and high school and stuff, but and um, it was
2: a it was a funny house.
3: Yeah, I mean, I think my family's really funny, but I don't want them to hear this.
2: <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
3: um, but they Why? are. Do you I think mean, my, then they'll try
2: <laughs> too hard or
3: my my family. I think my mom is very um, sure that I, my sense of humor is like entirely from her, um, which I think is partly true. But I think my brother is very funny and I get a lot of it from him. And, um, uh, my dad is, my dad has a good sense of humor, but I wouldn't say he's, he's like hilarious, but he knows what is funny. <laughs> <laughs> um, so there was like a, you know, there was a lot of humor around and I feel like, uh, I, I was definitely encouraged to pursue like doing plays and things that I found enjoyable. And yeah, there was yeah. like a, a appreciation for the arts. And your parents
2: are still together. That's a, that's a rarity in, yeah. business for, or it's yeah. a rarity in anything, you know? I mean, yeah, it
3: is. Yeah. Yeah. They've been together for like, I don't know, something like 40 years close wow. to that, maybe. Yeah. Yeah.
2: And uh, and where did they meet? Did they meet? They were both Chicagoans, I take it?
3: My dad grew up on the south side and my mom is from Indiana and they met, um, they lived in apartments that were right next to each other. And so my mom like saw my dad and made it her mission to go on a date with him. So Oh, wow.
2: Yeah. yeah. Nice. Nice. <laughs> yeah well so you you started i mean you said you became a class clown you started in high school like going and taking improv classes and what what was the decision making with that how did you know and didn't your parents know what a what a den of sex and drugs those places (laughs) are those improv studio
3: they probably did to some extent because they used to go um when they lived in chicago before they moved to the suburbs they would go to second city and watch all the classic people from the in the 70s and 80s uh, who were doing it, um, but I um, I got into it because I was it was really like out of failure at other things. I was trying to get into every school play and I auditioned for every single play. We had tons of plays at my school. At which of and the competition is pretty fierce there. I would say like it's funny to think back on it because. I, I don't know. Like, I always think about like high schoolers doing a streetcar named Desire or something and how like when you're in high school, it seems like so moving. But if you're like 25 or older, it's like the goofiest thing.
2: Ever. <laughs> what? To see kids doing it? Yeah. Doing doing. Yeah.
3: Like Going doing like Stella dramatic adult. Roles. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But I was so sad because I couldn't get into any show and it would always I mean, I would I would audition for everything and just end up crying and i would get into the yearly sketch show at my school which was called yamo which was like a take on what northwestern did they had a a version of that that we kind of co-opted and i would get into that every year and it was like where i would shine and then i had a teacher who um suggested that i take improv classes and he was like you should go do io because they don't have an age limit for the adult classes but second city you would be in the teen classes so just go to io and so i did cuz i was like oh, great, this is, like, the direction I've been waiting for. Yeah. But, yeah. And I started going uh, my senior year. When I was um, 18, I started doing it every Saturday and going to to classes with, like, adults, and it was very intimidating but cool.
2: Was it something you, like, did you think, like, okay, this is what I want to do? I mean, because it's really, I mean, I I would be, I would have been fucking terrified. You know, I just would have been so... you know, I wasn't comfortable in my own skin till I was 48 years old. So, (laughs) Uh, Yeah.
3: I mean, I think I was definitely in my peak uncomfortableness, um, but it helped me so much with like growing up and getting to know who I am and like finding my voice. But it was it was there were a lot of growing pains there. And I definitely was really nervous, but I did know that's what I wanted to do. I mean, I had read like every book I could get my hands on about SNL and and I loved TV so much that I, I didn't know that improv was a direct line to it necessarily. But I started to see that as I was doing it more and more that you would see people slowly, you know, get those jobs, and you could start to make sense of the path. But at the time, it was really just a way to get to perform. So yeah. I, I, I'm kind of grateful that at least I was young enough that it, it I wasn't only doing improv for the sole purpose of becoming an actor. It was really just like, I want to do comedy and I don't know how you do comedy. Like this is the only way that I could figure out to do it is like taking these classes. And I think there, there was such a, like I had a perfect window to just explore that without the pressure of needing to make money as an actor or something.
2: Was this while you're in high school or was it after you got out, like the summer you got out?
3: This was while I was in high school. It was my senior year of high school. I spent doing that. Yeah.
2: And and you stayed local too, didn't you, for college?
3: I did. Yeah, I went to DePaul in Chicago solely to keep doing improv. So it was really like that's what I was going to ask. Like, was it? Yeah. Was it because yeah. Yeah, and I mean, I uh, look back at that, and I'm like, that's very privileged and annoying to stay to go to an expensive school so you can do improv on the side. Yeah, I definitely see how that's annoying, but um, it was what I did. Yeah, <laughs> so. yeah yeah Well, you got you know your
2: parents need you to go to college you know that they like you did gotta pick somewhere yes. and you know
3: you know and it was really important to everyone and it was important to me to get a college degree and my mom went to DePaul so there was like kind of already this feeling of oh that's like a school I should go to like yeah, yeah. without your legacy or
2: whatever they call yeah,
3: it. yeah I now. think I applied to three schools and um and I just didn't really care what happened like I really was just like we'll just see I don't know. I didn't like a lot of my friends were doing like really diligent, like, uh, you know, applying to multiple schools that they really were passionate about and they had visited them. And like, I just, I didn't know anything. I just, I don't even think I visited DePaul leading up to it. I just went.
2: Yeah. I, yeah, that's, I was kind of, I mean, not because I was wanted to take improv, but like having just had a, my son go through the college process and apply to like fucking 10 of them or something like that, yeah. just like a zillion of them. And in, I was asked at one of the college nights, like, how many schools did you apply to? And I was like, one, yeah. U, U of I, the one I got into, you know, yeah, this?
3: I think I applied to U of I and Iowa and DePaul. And I was like, I did early decision to DePaul. And that's that was part of it, too. So like by November, I knew where I was going. So I was really like one foot out the door at school. If yeah, you do that early decision thing, you don't care at all what happens the rest of the year.
2: Did you move out of the house or did you stay home and, and commute?
3: I moved out and I moved into a dorm and I had a roommate and I look I look back at that time and I, I'm so annoyed at myself because I had friends who like would get a, have like their best friend as their roommate. And I was like, they're not trying to grow. Like they need to like be with a stranger. <laughs> and then I like had a stranger who was a roommate and like didn't become friends. And it was just a tiny room that I was sharing with a stranger. Like, it's just like yeah, the expectation yeah. to be friends with this random person you're paired with are just ridiculous.
2: Oh, it's yeah. No, it's a real kind of crapshoot, you know, that can really be a disaster. You know. Is
3: your son well? I guess now with coronavirus and everything, it's different. But did he have a roommate, or what is the whole plan for he,
2: that? He did. He had. Uh, there were four boys in a suite. They had like two, uh, two in a bedroom in each bedroom, and then the bedroom was connected uh, with a uh, like a kitchen and a and a.
3: Oh, a that's nice. Bathroom,
2: yeah. Which, the only like the, the, the one I could like, I would rather like the the thought of like four 18 year old boys sharing one bathroom. I just no. thought, oh, that's the grossest thing in the like, I there should have a communal bathroom would have been less probably. Yeah, gross,
3: we um, I had to share with um two other girls, or we had a bathroom that shared or that was like connected. And I don't think anyone cleaned it. I don't remember cleaning it. Like I don't yeah. think that was part of the deal.
2: <laughs> that well, that was he. He. This is at Parsons School of Design in New York City, so it's an art school. So everybody's kind of you know they're all weirdos anyway. Um, but he was he was the only one who ever cleaned, and that was like. Really, yeah. And he's not particularly fastidious anyway. Just you know, he just <laughs> it got to a to be point the most clean of the of these yeah and he actually switched he switched roommates, but it was right before right before the world ended yeah and, you know and now he's 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 gonna stay going to school out here he decided- he didn't like new york City and so he wants to go here and he supplied SC in oh, a couple of places but now with you know the fact that school isn't gonna start in the fall, I think he's like eh.
3: I know. Why should I go cares. to
2: art school over the internet?
3: I know. It's so weird. I saw that Harvard is going to be all virtual now this yeah, fall. Yeah. And it's like, that sucks. Like, you go to Harvard and then you have to just, like, sit here on Zoom. Yeah, I yeah. Know.
2: And that's, you know, and that's, I mean, he's considering taking time off. And I don't blame him because it is, like, it's a lot of money. You know, it's a lot of money. I think so. And I'm not saying because I don't want to pay for it because – Frankly, he's got like we put away enough money, you know, we're, I'm lucky enough to have made enough money throughout his childhood that he's got a college fund. that's pretty healthy. So it's like it's not like it's coming out of my pocket right now. Yeah, or anything. But I just I agree, I just feel like, yeah, go ahead. Take it.
3: I think that's know, good. Let... I feel like this is such a weird time for everyone. And it's kind of nice to be able to take a step back if you're in college and just. I don't know, not get. It's so, like, I feel like college <clears throat> is such a direct line from high school where people, people do suggest taking that year off anyway to like get to know yourself or to like volunteer or do something that's like interesting to you. And this would be the perfect time to do that. I don't know, just have a little yeah. reflection and make sure you're doing exactly what you want when you go back.
2: Take that year off and stay home.
3: Yeah, just don't do anything helpful to anyone.
2: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> just stay home with your mom. That's what every college kid should do. Yeah, just take some time off. To spend more time with your mother,
3: although I am um, sure a lot of moms are really happy right now to get oh, ma- know, that extra time with well, their
2: kids, you know? up to a point, and then they're like, <laughs> "All right, enough." Um, now, since you were you were in college and you are doing these improv classes, like, does that kind of give you like you must have then had two circles of friends? You must have had kind of grown up improv friends. Yeah, that was my grown-up. main
3: group. I really had like two friends at school. And then everyone else was like my improv friends who were in their twenties or thirties. There were those people who I was hanging out with who were way older than me, which is weird, I guess. But um, at the time, didn't seem weird at all. And then I, yeah, I moved out. I quickly like moved out of the dorm after my first year to like move in with some improv friends and get an apartment and have that like experience, which was so much better for me. And I just was able to, you know, be myself so much yeah. more.
2: And you were just, eighteen. And how old were the people you moved in with?
3: Um, at that point, I was nineteen, and the people were like twenty-four. I want to say, um, oh, wow. yeah, maybe one of them was around my age. She was in college too, so yeah. The, we the roommates were like rotating through the years. We kind of had a, yeah, yeah. one of those apartments where people were coming and going. But it was, I mean, you know, it was one of those Chicago apartments that was just like it's. It was massive. We each paid 500 bucks a month. It was amazing. And we had parties all the time with like everyone in the improv community. We like post online on the improv message board, like everyone's invited. And it was just the best. Like I just, I was suddenly like living my best life. It was so fun.
2: In a party house. Yes. (laughs) Wow, That's amazing. And your parents are okay with this? They don't, you know.
3: They were. I think for, I think they understood that like I would be much happier living with people I was actually friends with than some random person that I was assigned. And, you know, I, I tried it. I think that was part of it for them was like, I tried the dorm. I like did the college lifestyle and it's really not for me. I remember like the, one of the first days I met the other two girls who were sharing my suite and they asked me um, if I wanted to go to church with them that Sunday. And then I said, no. And then they never talked to me again. So it was like kind of a weird <laughs> environment for me. <laughs>
2: <laughs> or is, is your family religious at all or?
3: Uh, not particularly. I mean, I think my dad, my dad grew up going to Catholic school and my mom, my mom's side of the family is like Greek Orthodox would be the religion we would, you know, say we are. But I feel yeah. like I only went to church on Easter and Christmas. And yeah, it was never really yeah, a yeah. huge part of my childhood.
2: Yeah. And, but to Paul's a
3: Catholic school, right? That's, that is that. Yes, it is. Uh (laughs) And that's part of, I think, why when I said I didn't go to church, they were like probably really confused about like who I am and why I'm there and what's, and why you're there. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Is it, it, does it feel real Catholic while you're there?
3: It doesn't. I don't, I don't really remember that as being like a huge part of my experience. I think there's definitely like the, I mean, it, it just—it is a Catholic school, but it's not like something that's mentioned in any classes or anything. I don't—I mean, the classes I was taking, I was an English major. It didn't really get—it was—I never took religious classes, so I don't know. Maybe there was like religious studies where you would be feeling that a lot more, but yeah, I stayed away. Now,
2: do you feel like you know? Because I—I I, I mean, I look back on my kind of improv training and really how it really does kind of and it's hard to you know the knowledge that you get on how to do this thing it it slowly accumulates and it's not like you can really explain it to people but you do get to a point where you realize like oh yeah i can do this you know and like and you do find yourself going in front of people on a regular basis for 60 to 90 minutes and doing comedy and not having an idea any idea what you're going to say before you get up there mm-hmm. And I mean, when does it settle in? When are you comfortable with that? And
3: yeah, I mean, it is—it's a that's it's such a crazy thing to slowly realize you are willing to do. <laughs> like, yeah, because when you start, it's so intimidating, and even just getting up—excuse get, <clears throat> me, <clears throat> getting up in class is like so scary because you're you are like feeling like you're just on display for your peers, and it's just like so nerve wracking. And then suddenly, you're doing it for audiences of people like anywhere from five to a hundred people. I mean, there were definitely times I did shows for two people, um, (laughs) which that's, I guess that's good training. Um, But yeah, I think it's really just like what I think for me, it was once I got onto a team at IO, like after I graduated the classes and was put onto a team, there was this feeling of like, you can do it. Like they've approved you or something. And so you have this group that you're working with and so much of it is like the trust with your teammates too that if you really like and trust the people that you're performing with it's way less scary than it would be if you're performing with strangers and you're new to this or um or people who are you know going to do things that throw you under the bus which i definitely had a lot of people like that too where they would there there was one wild card kind of guy who comes to mind who would you know i i remember wearing a dress for a show and then he like, got on the floor and like looked up my skirt during the show and like it's like there's just people like who are nuts and mess with you during on stage and when you're like young and trying to figure out how to react to these things i don't even know what i would have done i mean there were so many moments in these shows where people do things that are just straight up offensive or wrong <laughs> and you have and i was like 19 you know trying to be like uh, f- just still be funny through it or something which i'm sure wasn't possible um so I don't know. There's like definitely that blind confidence that goes into it to let you get through those moments and think you should keep going. I don't know. Does that yeah. even answer the question? I feel like I went on a tangent, but no, that's all right.
2: <laughs> I got, we got to fill up some time here. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah, no, I, it is, uh, and I and I remember too. The I remember because when you when you are playing, when you have less control over who you're playing with you know, like in the early days when you kind of are getting on stage with people that you barely know people get tossed in with you that. And I do remember there being moments of, especially because usually, I mean, I don't know how it was back then, but usually there's only one or two women.
3: Oh in, yeah. Per group yeah.
2: tops, you know? And in fact, I think the Sharna Halpern who runs IO, she has to, I mean, I don't like I say, I don't know what it is anymore the women have to kind of get spread out in order so, you know, it's not just a sausage party every time somebody gets on stage.
3: Yeah, that was still true for me. I mean, that was 15 years ago and there were, it was, there were, there were more women probably than years before that. I mean, there were teams made up entirely of women that I was watching and admiring and stuff. And um, so I had some good role models, but it is true that like on the each team, on each house team, there are probably like two women. And that's the thing too. Like when you, I feel like now like looking back, when I think of the times where like I was uncomfortable or something, like that's an element of it for sure. That like as being one of two women, you know, you're, f- and finding your voice. And I was young. It's just there. It's hard to totally um, protect yourself in certain moments, but right um, not that that was like my entire experience, but it does. That's something I'm thinking about when thinking back to like, starting at that young age and being around these older people and trying to figure out like what my boundaries are in performance. Yeah,
2: because are, there is like sexist choices that are made that puts a pall over the whole performance. Yeah. And then the the burden is on you to scold somebody.
3: Yes, and yes. And you have to,
2: and you're at, so you not only have to, like I was always, and the pe- the women that were good at it, were amazing you know they learned sort of coping mechanisms Mm -hmm. um you know like I learned I learned uh I mean this isn't this is in a separate category from sexism but like I found I was with a group at at the annoyance uh theater that we did improv work and there was a wide range. Mick Napier who runs the yeah runs the uh, the annoyance theater had this very, kind of, very, like, very much in the si- sense, in the spirit of exper- experimentation and kind of anything goes. Basically, if you wanted to get on stage at the Annoyance, you could. And yeah. so that what that meant was there was a lot of people that were not that great. And you would have <laughs> these, like, you would have such a wide array of, like, amazingly talented and then, like, should not be there kind of stuff. oh
3: yeah oh yeah
2: and that isn't to be a dick it's just to be honest you know well and, and I at think this the point annoyance... now a professional you know
3: yeah well i did some stuff at the annoyance too and i it wasn't i wasn't there that much but the vibe is so much more like anarchy like whatever like anything goes um like type of stuff you know I mean, I can think of disturbing, disgusting things that I saw there that are fine. You know, whatever everyone can do, whatever they want on stage, but it was definitely the place for that kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. Um, and when you're like, when you're surrounded by people who don't know what they're doing, that can be really, that can feel really like dangerous.
2: Yeah, like it's just like Especially as young as you were.
3: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think like there was part of me that thought it was fun and exciting, but I look back and I'm like, oh, some of those people were like actually being mean or like, you know, just like different things that I look back. I'm like, oh, I think I understand that differently now that I'm older and um, I don't think that was cool or whatever.
2: Yeah. Yeah. But, well, yeah. there are also too at the annoyance there. Were, like one of the sports, one of the teen sports that people would play was mind fuckery. Like they were, you know, <laughs> there was a lot of behind the scenes, sort of just, you know, people that liked to manipulate and people that liked to, mm-hmm. you know, and I'm not saying, I'm not even like, you know, this isn't like, I'm not, you know, speaking of one particular person. There was just like a lot of drama and it was a sport, you know? Oh, well, yeah, for
3: sure. And I think people too being like really drunk a lot of the time or really high or whatever. And then you add that to that. There's, like, tons of drama. Like, I definitely remember people, like, sitting on the floor in the bar crying and, like, you know, just – that's, like, a Tuesday. I don't know. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, what I was what I was bringing up is, like, the coping mechanisms that you learn is that I realized because we would we, – we did these, like, improvised plays. That was the – you know, it was, that was the form that our long form took. And I think we started with the title. And there was a woman on the team that was just – And she was a lovely person, but she just was not a great improviser. But she was super gung ho. She was up for anything. So we would, she, I would say, 90% of the time, she was the first one on stage. And it got to the point where the other group members, because I just always ended up going out there with her. Like, you know, like just, and it got to the point where, We'd start, and if she went out on stage, and you know, like then there was kind of like a lag. People backstage would literally look at me like, (laughs) "You're going to handle this, right? You're going to go out there."
3: Oh my god, that's so familiar. That feeling of like those sort of patterns you get into with the people on your team who are just not fully there or not up to not up to par with everyone else. There's just there is always that pattern of, like, one person who's willing to, like, throw themselves down for the cause. (laughs)
2: Like, 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 I got to (laughs) work now, you know, but I found what the way that I ended up dealing with with that particular situation. And then in any other situation where there was sort of iffy improv is to really push on agreement, you know, like to go go out and you set up a premise, you know, like, uh, you know, like something like you know the dentist will be right in and then she she would do things like uh pretty weird that there's a dentist at a at a car a, a car dealership and oh I, god you know and then i would just have to agree with her and say like <laughs> oh yes that's a part of our you know like that's and i mean i'm just making this shit up but it's like oh yes that's a that's a new promotion we've got, you know, buy yeah. a car and, and get, you know, get your teeth drilled at the same time. But that just like aggressive agreeing with somebody that disagrees with you. And yeah. I, there were women that had sort of like the sexism version of that, that they could sort of like, but it was just always such an, was asking so much work of the women. Totally. Well, to yeah, like I mean, I, I, the, not just be yeah. funny, but also handle this dope you know
3: yeah and i definitely admire those women who are so good at that who can make it funny still and put someone in their place and kind of call out what's weird about it but it is work and it's like well they don't even get to do the scene they want to do now because they right, had to right. like deal with this idiot the whole They're time in reaction, and, yeah, in reaction yeah yeah um, so. yeah actually eliza skinner posted a really um interesting clip of her on, I think it was Shaquille O'Neal's show. I don't oh, know, yeah. some sort of talk show. Did you happen to see this clip? I did see th- that clip. Th- there was like a, a another co-host of the show who was like making sexist remarks to her and she had to like, she was, I mean, her comebacks were amazing. Like she was just like fucking dunking on him the whole time. Yeah. But it sucks because it's like she had to sit there and like do that. Like that's not like why she was there, you know? She yeah. had, she's, it's like lucky that she's so funny. She was able to, manipulate the situation and make it funny and handle it but it's just so shitty to have to be put in that position yeah yeah
2: yeah i think the guy was like the whole hilarious joke was that she had slept her way into the job
3: yeah was that yeah. was
2: the funny 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 premise yeah that he was yeah it's just <laughs> just yeah. sucks yeah it's unbelievable Well, but
3: i was very impressed watching that and just thinking like i don't know if i could have done that as well
0: Life is a highway,
1: and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one McCrispie, so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. Love the flexibility of working in all sorts of places?
2: Can't you tell my loves to growing? So is it continuous? Are you continuously doing improv through this entire, through like basically all all the way through college?
3: Yeah. So I kept doing that all through college. And then I moved to New York um, right after college. to, And I did like UCB and stuff there. So I was really continuing it. But at the point, like in Chicago, it was interesting, like for me, because it really just was about doing improv. There was no career opportunity coming my way at all. I don't know if you had that experience when you were there. Like, was any? were you getting any auditions for anything? I did one
2: audition for this new discount furniture company called Ikea <laughs> that was from Sweden. And, basi- yeah. and basically, <laughs> they, uh, well, I, we'd never heard of it, but basically, they basically had uh man and w- i went with a friend of mine uh betty cahill and i did it, it, it audition together and they bet just basically it was like one of the worst it was they basically said like you're a young hip couple you've got you know you don't have a lot of money but it's important to what you spend all this ad speak bullshit about who we were and uh-huh. then they're like okay go like go it, it, like, you don't even know what to do Yeah, like and and yeah, and there was just no parameters. So we start to improv. we're trying to find something talking about like the couch we're sitting on. We don't even know what the fucking furniture is. (laughs) And I was and we're kind of like, you know, it's it takes a little bit. It's not like 20 seconds. And they're asking us basically to write, the, which is another thing. Like
3: That's so annoying, too. That happens so often with commercials. There are people getting
2: paid to write this commercial. And their idea is bring in funny people and have them say funny things.
3: I know. Although but. I just remembered, I got one commercial audition in Chicago and it was for Coke, uh, Coca-Cola. And I was so excited. And I like, I remember what I wore and I went to the audition and I was sitting there in this room full of like 20 people. And then they just canceled it before they even got to me. They were like, we got it. <laughs> I like, that's so sad. I went home.
2: It sucked. And that was your only Chicago audition? Yeah yeah. 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 This one was when we were in the middle of still trying to find out where we were this I don't remember her who she was, but the casting woman, and she was a big casting woman. You're supposed to impress and really get her to bring <laughs> it back. But we're just improvising, kind of maybe finding something that's kind of funny, and then this woman just get in the middle of our audition, just yells, "Resolve it!" Oh my god! <laughs> oh my god. Uh, okay, I guess this, uh, we'll buy you know, this like, one. Yeah, I mean, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, you know like I I'm I you know, someone has to murder someone or something like that. That's a resolution <laughs> of a kind. That's but so yeah, brutal. no, I didn't, I never had anything in Chicago and I had no idea what I was going to do with myself. I mean, I had yeah. no, I was taking improv classes and I knew like, oh, there's something in here, but I, I didn't have any, like, I didn't, I didn't think I'm going to be on SNL. And I yeah. took improv classes with people that were like, I'm going to be on SNL. That's my goal. And I, I was like, Yeah, no, I'm just kind of, this is fun, you know?
3: Yeah. I mean, I think I thought that I would be on SNL and that there was this, like, higher, like, you know, bigger thing that was going to happen, but I had no sense of how you got from point A to point B. But it was like, I know that this is, like, a step, but I, there was, like, no understanding of, like, how you got an audition, how you put together an audition. Like, how how does, how does do they even find you? Like, it just felt like that'll happen somehow down the line but I don't understand. Yeah. And so I think there was something good about that though. Like, I I mean, I wonder if you agree with that, that like, there's something kind of nice about not having any clue how it works when you're doing it because you're able to just enjoy this time. Like, I don't know. I was, I wasn't feeling like the pressure of like, I have to get on SNL by the time I'm 24 or something. you know, there wasn't yeah. that like feeling.
2: Yeah. There. W- well, no, I didn't know anything. I, I knew there were agents and I knew the idea was just supposed to get casting agents and agent agents to come there to you know to see your improv show and we would be aware when there would be a casting person and they would come in like seasonally to do things yeah I remember uh friends of mine auditioning for SNL and, and Lorne Michaels Lauren <laughs> Michaels seeing a show at the Annoyance Theater called the Miss Vagina Pageant, which was a, <laughs> it was a all, all female cast, and it was a, it was a, a Jill Soloway and her sister Faith produced uh, it, uh-huh. and they, it was a you know it was like a parody of uh, beauty pageants, and it it got a lot of attention because there's a lot of really funny women in the show, and Lauren Michaels came to see it and brought along Quincy Jones,
3: just like. <laughs> <laughs> like, that's crazy oh, in Chicago though like something like that happening is like unreal
2: it was unbelievable we couldn't you know it was yeah it was like yeah you know like space aliens had come to visit us and they were sitting in the house
3: that's nuts but, what but did we, that it, but did that Brady Bunch show you did get attention like that though because wasn't that a really it, popular I mean, show
2: yeah there was a show we did in in Chicago called the real live Brady Bunch that again uh Jill and Faith Soloway produced
3: mm-hmm
2: re reenactments of the Brady Bunch. Were you there when we were doing that? Or you were no, but I, yeah.
3: I, I knew all about it. Like it was like lore, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean,
2: the annoyance theater was a theater, a weird little theater devoted. They had a long running show called uh coed prison sluts, which was um, that did uh, the, the group of the original people had come together with this kind of, you know, like prison exploitation kind of musical that was absolutely filthy. And, it, you know, but it did very well. It was a very funny show, very talented people in it. And then we filled out the rest of the week with different kind of, you know, experimental, improv-y kind of things. A lot of stuff of that what the Annoyance did was would get a cast together. Rather than rehearse a written text, they would rehearse improvising a play. So the group would, would sort of, as a group, write a play together and then there the text would just kind of be held in their heads together you know in their collective head and then they would do plays but Jill and Faith had this idea of doing real uh, you know reenactments of the Brady bunch and everyone you know and there was a there was a there was a political divide too there was like you know like Jill was a usurper like coming in and you know like <laughs> <laughs> you know, trying to take over and trying to control things and and the it 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 went crazy it was it was like it it coincided with the seventies disco nostalgia that was happening at the time, which was you know this is like nineteen eighty nine something like yeah. that yeah. And uh, well,
3: and it seems like it was really ahead of its time, too, because now that's that's a much more common thing to do to reenact something like yes. that or whatever. But like at the time, that must have been really funny and crazy. That like it was before walking thing. out,
2: <laughs> it was the funniest thing I'd ever seen. I thought I thought it was really dumb. And I saw the first one like I just was a I, and I had just kind of started getting in there like it just started taking classes there. And it was the funniest thing I ever yeah. saw. And then we all did. We all pitched in. There was a game show that preceded it that filled out the night, and we would do commercials in the game show that were for local businesses. Oh, Uh, fun. And that, you know, like the liquor store down the street would give us some money, and then two of us would get together and come up with a commercial for them. And, you know, and so all of us would pitch in, and we did, they did two shows a night on Tuesdays, and that was the Brady Bunch night. And it was huge. It was like, it really, you know, injected a huge I mean amount of money first of all uh into the theater uh and then just got people kind of you know interested in seeing it and it's yeah. what got me out of town. I mean they they took it to New York and I the guy that was playing Mike Brady couldn't go and so I went to New York. Oh and,
3: wow and
2: that's where I got an agent. We did it at the village that's so Gate. lucky. Yeah no I mean it was it's really I mean my particular path is is there's like just so much dumbness to it because <laughs> I get I get involved I Mike Brady in this real life Brady bunch which is like who gives a shit about Mike yeah, Brady sure. like it's honey I'm home you know <laughs> casting agent comes to New York and you know and it gets all this attention and it's like all we're doing so much other work possibly can, you could easily consider better work in whether we're doing improv or these other shows that we've written ourselves that aren't this dopey yeah. thing but this is what gets attention. Casting agent comes at call, you know, and I was used to casting agents come to the Brady bunch, but she can't. And then she said, she waited for me. And somebody's like, there's a casting agent for you. And I was like, really? And this woman was like, you were really great. And you know, you should meet this agent here in New York. And I was like, Oh, oh okay. I guess. Wow. I mean, you could tell from, you know, honey, I'm home, that I'm,
3: you know. (laughs) You've got it.
2: (laughs) And I went and I went and had, you know, I got an agent in New York City and went and met with her and sat across from her for, I've I've told this story before, sat across from her just chatting for probably 45 minutes. And then she gets on, she goes like, I'm going to call some of these casting people, network people here. Because there are network casting people in New York, Uh but they're not like, they're sort of like satellite casting people. But I'm sitting across from her, she's talking me up to these people all made up shit like he can do it all he can do drama <laughs> he can do whatever i'm like
3: how the fuck do you
2: know that oh, is amazing that is bullshit i get well, it well okay. this is
3: you're reminding me i had a meeting with an agent in new york when i moved there and i don't know who connected me there was this manager who like saw me and my my sketch partner in chicago and she kind of we were kind of influenced by her to move to new york instead of la but it was also cuz my partner wanted to move to new york cuz her family was from there so we Which moved partner? there. Who's your, who's your partner? This was um, my sketch partner back in the day, Candy Lawrence. She's a stand-up. Okay. Um, but we did sketch when we were in Chicago, and we we had a group called The Money Kids. And we this, this manager saw us at a um, festival or something in Chicago, and she started talking to us. And it was, like, huge for us, but it ended up leading nowhere. We ended up going to New York— And trying to like get her to work with us, but it didn't happen. She did have us hand out flyers in Times Square once uh, for like an HBO (laughs) comedy showcase. So that was almost a cool gig. Um, But we I got a meeting with an agent and I went to the agency. And again, like, I mean, I think every time I had anything like this, I was like extremely nervous. It was like a huge deal to me. I went I got there. I went the office was like really dark like it was really dimly lit and I sat down on this couch in front of her desk like right in front of it and it was really low so I was like way lower than her yeah and (laughs) she was on the phone while meeting with me and then um looking at my resume that I had made which just had like all my you know theater credits and stuff and she's like you're really 5'10 and I was like yeah and she was like you're taller than that and I was like I couldn't understand why someone would say they were shorter. So I didn't even understand what she was trying to get at. But I yeah. guess as a woman, I, would, I might want to say I'm shorter than six feet if I was. I mean, I'm, I'm really 5'10". But she just basically challenged me on my height and then sent me on my way. Like, I was like, that was it. That was the whole meeting. She's like, you're not 5'10". You're taller than that. All right, bye. Like, it was like, and she was on the phone. <laughs> it was just like crazy. Yeah. So I eventually got a commercial agent in New York um, who would send me out like once every couple months. And I got callbacks for a few commercials, but never booked anything. So it was really just like I was really just doing UCB that whole I was there for like a year and a half doing that. And yeah, um, it was great, though. I mean, I think the improv community is like such an amazing way to get to make friends as you move to new cities, because I was completely lonely and didn't know anyone. And suddenly I had, you know, at least 10 friends right off. Yeah. So it's nice.
2: Um, What were you what were you doing to make a living during this this early time?
3: I was a babysitter. So that was basically and that's basically the only job I've ever had that was not acting related that I didn't quit within a few days. I've tried to have (laughs) other jobs, but it doesn't work.
2: What were the ones you tried?
3: Um, I worked as a in Chicago. I worked on um, Navy Pier as a caller for a boat company where you stand on the dock and you yell about the boat. It was called shoreline sightseeing. And I stood out uh, in a red polo and khakis and yelled, "Um, boat rides, 30 minutes on the lake, 60 minutes on the river. And I was horrible at it. And the other guys who worked there were all like improviser dudes, but they were older than me and I didn't know them. And they were not nice to me and they all like hazed me. I was there for I was I was there for like a couple days, but they yeah. made me do all the hard stuff. Like you're supposed to throw this giant giant rope off the dock onto the boat so the boat can take off. And I couldn't throw it because it was really heavy. And I would they just like watched me like try to throw it up. You know, they're just making fun of me. Like I look back, and I'm like, that was so dumb. I wouldn't have been like if I could be there now and just go like, fuck you, you do it. Like that sucks. Yeah, I, yeah. <laughs> I didn't yeah. have the confidence to fight back, but um I quit I, I dreaded going there so much that I quit over the phone and then I went in and picked up my hundred dollar check um, a couple days later, which no one was happy to give me and then I, in New York, I worked as a um barista quote unquote i've never had a sip of coffee i don't even know like what it is, basically, but <laughs> I worked at a <laughs> coffee shop. I was so determined to get a job right away when I got there, and my I was living with with my roommate candy and then her girlfriend and we were in like a small two-bedroom apartment that was still like really expensive and I had to get a job right away so I had a friend who worked at this coffee shop and he hooked me up and I actually got this job which probably would be hard to get in general but I got it it was horrible because you had to get up at like four o'clock in the morning and take the train into Manhattan and like open the gate and do all... It's just awful for me. I mean, I'm like, I don't don't get up early. (laughs) I mean, I guess I do now for acting work, but not for a job like that. And had to go in there and try to make coffee for like New Yorkers who know exactly what they want, which is very intimidating. Just like fast lines of people who come in there every day. And I was like fumbling. I remember I had to serve a guy a bagel once. And I mean, that's like a really easy thing to do. I had to like toast a bagel and like put butter on it and bring it over to him. And... I was walking and it just flew off the plate and landed face down. And then there were no more bagels. And he was like pissed. Like, I just, I had like horrible little interactions and I was so stressed out and I quit after a few days. And so then it was all babysitting. I was like, I'm only going to, I've done that since I was 10 years old. I know what that is. I know how to interact with people in this way. I like the one-on-one of a child, you know, it's much easier for me than like customers. Yeah. Um, so I got jobs on I used like this website called sittercity.com dot com and like connected with moms and dads and started babysitting for a lot of different families. And that was how I did it.
2: Wow. Yeah. I, I mean, there's enough daytime babysitting. Oh, I'm mean, a dumb question. Yeah, of course there is. Yeah.
3: Well, yeah. What I would do was I got jobs um, picking kids up from school and taking them home and then hanging out with them until the parents go home from work. And so, for me, it was a way to, like, have my day free in case I got one audition ever, which I never yeah, did. Yeah, yeah. Or so I can go do shows at night. And so it was kind of this sweet spot. And then when I moved to L.A., I did that. I, and I also um, picked kids up. I took kids to school in the morning. So I, would get, I babysat this girl at, like, 5 a.m. And then her mom had to go to work. And then at 8, I would drive her to school. And then I'd go home. And then I could do my, have my whole day. Um, yeah. But it was not um, a lot of money. I mean, I was definitely, like just scraping by all the time, but I was really proud that I was able to do it myself. So Sure, yeah. Yeah.
2: Did And what are the, I mean, what, you said it was about a year and a half before you actually sort of got anything, any paying gig, right?
3: Yeah, I mean, I was in New York for a year and a half, and then I moved to LA, and but I was about nine months into being in LA when I got, started getting work. So that started so to you, pay off quickly.
2: What did you, was the LA move because you just kind of felt like it wasn't happening in New York or-
3: well, I had planned. We, my Candy and I were going to move to L.A. originally. And then at the last minute, she was like, let's go to New York. And I just had always wanted to live there. So it was kind of a whim. And then we, I I, I gave it a year. So I stayed a little over a year. But the plan was always to be there for that long and then move to L.A. Because I was dating someone long distance in L.A. at the time. Mm. And so there was this feeling of like, I'm going to end up there eventually. I'll have this time in New York to like try that out. And then I'll move to L.A. And so once I did that, I feel like things started to fall into place more, but it was also from all that experience that I had of not getting stuff that I started to see, you know, like when a good opportunity comes, you, you know,
2: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All right. Um. So were you, and I mean, you talked a little bit about like how feeling LA wasn't that bad. What were you all amped for it or was there some hesitation on your,
3: part? I was really excited at that point. And because I had had this mark in my head of like, I'll move there in a year by the time it was like, over a year that I was in New York, I was dying to move. I was like so excited to go,
2: yeah. um,
3: partly because of my relationship and partly because I was like, I think this will be better for me. Like, yeah, there's so much about it that is easier than living in New York. Um, cost of living, for one thing, um, yeah. it's probably getting to be more comparable now. But at the time, my apartment in North Hollywood was $900 for a one bedroom that I was splitting with my boyfriend. So like it was really cheap.
2: Yeah, yeah. Compared
3: to what I was paying in New York.
2: Was the boyfriend from New York or from previous to New York or
3: Um, we met in Chicago, but then he is from LA, so he moved back to LA and I we start so our whole relationship was long distance from the start. Oh wow. Yeah. 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 Which is dumb. I would well, say if anyone's thinking about doing that, they shouldn't. <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, it's hard to like just go, you know. Sorry. Bye. You moved. You moved on me. Um, Well, did you have any kind of I mean, you you obviously had the UCB. There was a UCB out here. So you had that to do.
3: Yeah. And I got on a team right away when I was coming out here and looking for an apartment with him. I, I the auditions for the teams were right at the same time and I got on. So that was also like. Really amazing to because I hadn't been on a team in New York. I was just doing classes there. So then to get on a team and have that built in when I was moving, like, oh, I'm going to move here and I have this team ready to go. It was like a really comforting thing.
2: Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And and so did did representation come from that? How because that's yeah from UCB people that don't know that's you know, you don't you don't start making a living until you get an agent to come in. Yeah.
3: Yeah. And I got a, a, a manager saw me at UCB and that's how I got my career going the though the first thing i ever got was through improv actually it was um uh, molly mcnerney who's married to um is that her last name who's married to jimmy kimmel yeah yeah um she yeah yeah. yeah, she uh was an improviser at io and i was doing stuff at io west as well and she like i got a connection through her to go like audition to do a bit on jimmy kimmel And I ended up getting to do this, like, 10-minute improvised scene with Ryan Reynolds and Jimmy Kimmel, which was, like, amazing for me. It was my first TV job ever.
2: Wow. And
3: that, I, like, I got to be on TV. So that was, like, before I had a manager even, I think. There was, like, this moment of, like, oh, I got to, like, improvise on TV. It was so cool. It was amazing.
2: What was the bit?
3: The bit was that I was Ryan Reynolds' biggest fan and Jimmy Kimmel, and I worked for Jimmy Kimmel, and he wanted to fire me, but he wanted to have Ryan do it so it would soften the blow. Uh-oh. And so Ryan came over and I just cried to him and screamed at him and stuff. And it was fun.
2: <laughs> was it Was it supposed to seem real? Like, were you supposed to seem like a Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
3: yeah, yeah. And I, yeah, I definitely looked real. <laughs>
2: <laughs> oh, that's good. Yeah. My, yeah. You know, look that up, people. That sounds like a good
3: one. Oh, yeah. It's um, on there. It's on there.
2: And so, and uh, so then you get the manager and you're auditioning and, you know, and, and you're all set. You're here you're living with someone you've got the world by the short end <laughs> um and, and it just kind of continues from there i guess right yeah i mean yeah i mean
3: my first the characters
2: had, was that was that one of the first that things? was a bit
3: later no uh my first thing was a uh my first pilot season i booked a pilot that got picked up and it was called are you there chelsea it was on um nbc it was Chelsea Handler's sitcom that Laura oh, Prepon yeah. starred in, and yeah, I played yeah. the dumb roommate. Ali Wong was on that show. It was actually a really great cast. Um, but that was that was in, insane for me because I literally was auditioning for a few pilots. I got this pilot, and then it got picked up. Like I remember sitting in my little apartment, like refreshing deadline to see if it got picked up, and then it did. It was insane. Like I had never, I had never expected something like that. So I think it's so funny to look back at because in It's ultimately like a failed show. It's like a failed sitcom that went 13 episodes and got canceled and no one thinks about it. But for me, it was like, that's my first job. Like, this was crazy. So it was like amazing.
2: Well, it's I mean, the whole notion of success and failure is so weird here because, you know, like I was number one on the call sheet for three different network sitcoms. But none of them worked. So, like, it's yeah. easy for me at times to go like, oh, none of them worked. <laughs> yeah, but you still got to do it. Like- <laughs> no, but then, it, yeah, but the thing is, is, like, I fucking got to, you know, coming from where I came from, I got to star in three network television shows. And you know, I think and I've that's
3: the thing. i TV for
2: a zillion years, you know?
3: People get so jaded so quickly about that. And, like, you can just say, like, oh, that was a failure. But, like, it's so hard to get anything on the air. And as an actor, it's so hard to get the role in the first place. Yeah. But like to have a show that is on that people saw is like a huge success. Right. So many things don't even get past the first stage. So like, it's just, I, I still like, I, I feel so grateful for those opportunities that I had to be on things that were quote unquote failures because that it's like you make a whole career out of that. Like it's, right. it's, it's not a bad thing.
2: And so much of yeah. it is just being there. So much of like being a professional at anything is just learning how to be there. And,
3: and that's the only way. I mean, with acting like on set, there is no class. I mean, maybe there is, but I never heard of one. And you don't know how to do anything. You don't know what a camera is and how it moves and where it goes and what you're supposed to do and how you're supposed to turn. And like so much of it is just. You have to just do it to understand. Absolutely. And so for me, it was such a training ground to like get to be on this. It was a multicam show, which kind of was a natural progression for me coming from performing on stage and getting to perform in front of an audience and like have these, you know, learn on my feet and have people who are really supportive of me because everyone knew it was my first thing. So there was like there was a understanding, you know vibe coming from people right. towards me i think yeah
2: right they ex- yeah
3: they, they didn't knew. expect me to know everything Yeah.
2: they probably childproof things yeah. had soft rubber corners <laughs> on all the coffee tables <laughs> how old were you at that point
3: um i was 20 let's see i was like
2: 26 oh okay yeah, yeah, no, yeah, that's but yeah, that's still pretty young for a first gig. I mean, you yeah, know, for first gig when you're if you're not like somebody that's been a child actor or something totally, like that, totally. Yeah,
3: yeah. And it's, I think that was like a really cool experience. I mean, getting to perform with these other actors who had been doing it for a long time, like Laura Prepon has been acting for a very long time and she's a pro. So, like, to be kind of watching someone like that while you're trying to figure out how it works, it's like so beneficial.
2: Yeah, yeah. It is, and it is true. Like you say, I went to film school. So I and I worked on. I worked in production in Chicago. That's what I did. Oh, know, okay. As, aside from waiting tables and working for a moving company, I worked. My, you know, I got out of film school thinking I was going to work on commercials or industrials or whatever in Chicago. Mm-hmm. You know, the occasional you know feature that would come through, and then I, you know, and I was kind of like, you know, I was on my way to being a prop guy, basically, in Chicago. And uh, and so I'd been on sets. I knew how to be on sets. I knew how to memorize lines and stuff. But my the first thing I got was, uh, it was when we were doing the Brady Bunch out here and it was a Holly Hunter movie called uh, the, uh, the Positively True or alleged, Allegedly True Adventures of the Texas Cheerleader Murdering Mom. Wow. It was based on a real story where a woman tried to hire a hitman to kill the mother of her daughter's cheerleading rival.
3: Oh, okay. It was like yeah. a, some
2: trashy story, and there are a couple <laughs> TV movies made out of it. But I got a part as like a young cop, and I had a little scene with Swoosie Kurtz and Bo Bridges. Wow! The, and it's really—I mean, aside from industrial gigs where you know you do you know, like you do improv for a group of Jewish singles, you know, out on the <laughs> night or, or, you know, or, you know, just like little one-off gigs like that, college mm-hmm. gigs, things like that. This is my first like paid legit kind of job. And I, like I said, I don't know, like, where do I go? What well, how do I have to, I stick around like, you know, and then I just, you know, I went to a, a little dressing, you know, a, a, a a trailer, you know, like I had a little room in a trailer and I just kind of sit there and wait. And then I just, you know, we shot their side of it, you know, cause uh, the, the, typically the way you shoot things is a wide angle and then you do the singles and they waited to do my coverage last. And then when they're like, you know, like when they said like turning around, which means putting the camera on the other side of the room to shoot the other half of the scene, I was like, I don't I, yeah, I don't know what that means. Like, where do I go? <laughs> and you don't really want to say to somebody, I've never done this before. Where do I go? I That's don't know the what this thing. There's is. like
3: so much of it is just pretending you know what's going on because you don't want to. I don't know why, but there's just a feeling you don't want to look like you don't know what you're doing
2: that. And, and so that it is life basically yeah so much of it like yeah that's pretty much
3: that is true and probably people are doing that in every field but with this it's like you just you just hear turning around enough times that you go oh it means when they come to get my thing oh okay that's now. okay oh i started to figure out what these words mean um but yeah it's it's totally intimidating at first and in I'm sure I was doing things that showed how little I knew. You know what I mean? Like you probably were doing something that people were like, he doesn't know what turning around means. <laughs> <laughs> you start spinning around like.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, and it felt, and I, it's like you said, that felt like I won a contest. You know, like. Yeah. I went, shot this thing, was done in a few hours, came back home, you know, to my fiance at the time and was like, Wow, I just was <laughs> in a movie.
3: That's
0: amazing. You know? yeah. Yeah,
2: yeah. It was it's crazy. Um, it was crazy. So the, the, I think the first thing I ever saw you in was the was the characters uh, oh, yeah. thing that you did oh, on cool. Comedy Central. And how does that happen? I mean.
3: Yeah, th- it was a Netflix series. This was like Netflix. a. Um, so. That was like in 2015, those came out. So I think leading up to that, I had a few meetings with um with a woman who was working at Netflix. And sh- this was like when it was a few years into Netflix, you know, creating their original content. And she had sort of softly pitched this idea to me, like probably in like 2013, like, oh, I want to do a series of like alternative comedians getting to do their own thing for Um, their own episode and so there would be like eight episodes and each person can do whatever they want with the time and um, it evolved to be all like sketch comedians who do characters and so we were given our own 30-minute Netflix special I mean it was truly like really awesome to get to do because we got to write our own thing star in it come up with every little detail Um, it was really really cool and I had been doing a lot of sketch like leading up to that point. So, and I, and I was performing sketch live at a lot of different places. I don't really do that anymore, but, um, not as much. So I was kind of known for doing characters in that way. I think now I'm known much more through podcasting for doing characters. So it's kind of interesting how it all evolves. And I don't really want to go do like a random two minute bit at like a 10 hour show, you know, (laughs) Yeah, yeah. it's nice to have podcasts where we can like, you know, get to explore a little more. Um, but yeah, it really just came through knowing this this woman who um, she was an agent and then she moved to Netflix and um, she ended up putting it all together. And so it's like me and John Early, Kate Berlant, uh, Henry Zebrowski, Doc Brown, Natasha Rothwell, uh, Tim Robinson. I th- and Paul Downs. So it's like all, I mean, and people who are all killing it. Um, yeah, yeah. It was crazy to get to do it. It was really fun. And yeah, I got to be on Conan after that. So that's probably why you saw it at the time. I um, think so, yeah. Yeah. I may have seen,
2: I may have seen you.
3: Uh,
2: I, I i feel like I may have also seen you at UCB in a women's improv group, but I don't. Oh, yeah.
3: Wild Horses. Wild Horses. That's been it. Yeah, yeah. Um, we eventually um, had Conan on, which was really fun, but we, we do like a was show it where we really,
2: he, was it? Really? <laughs> he doesn't listen. to
3: this. Show, <laughs> okay. To be honest, it was actually really rough. Um, <laughs> no, it was great. And he, he shared like a lot of really great stories. Um, but we, we do a show where we like interview a, a guest for like a a long period. We'll do like 45 minute dinner party conversation, kind of interview with them. And then we do improv inspired by the conversation. So yeah. Um, yeah, I was doing, I've been doing that for like six years, that specific group.
2: Yeah. But yeah. Um, so, uh, this recent thing, well, I mean, and when did I, do you, are you doing podcasts right away when Earwolf start? I mean, is it just yeah, kind of, the, did you know it was Scott Walkerman? Kind of is that kind no.
3: of. No, I actually met Scott doing Cat at UCB. He was a monologist and he came one night and I was in the cast And he later asked me, after meeting me there, he asked me to do a character on Comedy Bang Bang, which I had never heard of. Don't tell him. He won't listen to this either. Don't worry. Right. And... (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I didn't know what it was, but I that was definitely in the point of my life where I was just agreeing to do anything no matter if I knew what it was or not. Uh-huh. And um I signed up, you know, did it and had a great time. And I started recurring on comedy Bang Bang, which then led to um Jeff Ulrich, who was one of the ear earwolf CEOs, or I don't know what his exact title is at this point, but at the time he was in charge of like helping people get shows and he um offered me my own podcast. This was like a couple years into guesting on things. And so I created my podcast with special guest Lauren Lapkus, which is the premise is that the guest is the host and I'm the guest, so it's just yeah. an improvised show where they can do, the guest does whatever they want. Um and so that's kind of where I started really getting into the podcasting world. Like then suddenly I'm like I have this podcast and at that time people really weren't sure what podcasts were. And you know, I mean there's like a it's not that long ago, but I feel like the Conversation around podcasting has changed so much just in the last few years. Yeah. It's kind of crazy. Like at the time, I feel like I was like, I have a podcast. And like if 50% of people would know what that was, if you were talking about it. Yeah. And now everyone has a podcast. So it's weird if you don't have one. Yeah. Um, (laughs) No,
2: no. here here we are. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah.
3: But it's like such an amazing platform because I feel like over the time, like I've gotten to do a handful of my own podcasts on Earwolf and HeadGum. Uh, Which is another network. And like it as an improviser, it's so amazing because you really don't have the same opportunity uh, that a stand-up would have to go tour the country, get fans this way, have people know your style of humor and get to know you outside of any sort of TV or film job that you have. There's no way to like share your personality as an improviser unless the people live in LA and could come to the show. So it's been so amazing to like reach people on this bigger level and and then tour with with comedy bang bang and stuff like get to go to other countries where people are excited to come to the show and they know all the dumb bits we do and it's just it's like kind of crazy yeah especially at the time when i was like no one knows what the fuck this is
2: did you ever do uh, a stand-up at all
3: no i think i tried it one time at an open mic in chicago and like i like bailed midway through my thing and like turned it into a character i was like i don't even know what's going on it was just like embarrassing you know (laughs) and then i never really wanted to do it again but sometimes I think I could try now more than I ever could before because I know my point of view a lot more than I ever did
0: mm-hmm. from
3: podcasting. I mean, like from like talking at length as myself, which was something I never did before. I always did characters. I'm like, oh, I think I, I know what I would do if I had to do stand up. Right. Um, but it's is, I mean, is it ever <laughs> coming I, back? If I was
2: forced, <laughs> court mandated that I got out. <laughs> go to Did you ever Yuckles. do it? Uh, I I was in that I was in a boat of, uh, you know, like sometimes, y- y- you know, and w- when you have kids, and even as much, you know, I've I've made a nice living or stuff, but you never know where things are coming from. Yeah. So when you get kids, you start to think like, what can I earn
0: when yes. somebody's
2: not calling me on the phone and saying, "Come over here and earn some money." So, I had this thought like, oh, you know, i and I have friends. You know, I have friends that are like like David Keckner goes and does standup, and Tim Meadows yeah. started to go do standup and i and they did it basically because they could. They had a name, and they if they got together, you know, a certain amount of time of of material, they could go and they could, you know, headline at a uh, stand-up club in St. Louis or Seattle yeah. or wherever. And so I thought, oh, I'll try this. And then I just, I didn't like it. I realized I just did not like being on stage by myself, you know?
3: Yeah, it's a whole different thing. I mean, it's definitely, I, coming from, I mean, doing improv and then going into that, it's like, you you really have the feeling of, it's on me to fix this. Yeah. <laughs> well, sucks.
2: I also, I also, from like an improv macho standpoint, when, once I was doing comedy, that was improvised, I was like, I don't want to go around and say the same thing all the time.
3: I have that same problem and I think it's it's such a like, it's like a part of your brain. It feels like you're cheating after doing improv forever to then like write something down and repeat it many times. I'm like, that is, that's not funny anymore. Like, I yeah. don't know. I, I love stand-up. I love watching stand-up so it's not even a slight against stand-up. It's more about myself doing it where I'm like, this doesn't feel right that I'm repeating this. Yeah. I don't know. I would. I
2: would do this thing when I started having to do press for things like I, you know, being in a show or in a movie or whatever, and having to go, especially like for movies for junkets. I, you've had to do junkets, I yeah. Remember, where you go and like for two days, you sit in hotel conference rooms, and there's for this is for people. You know, some of it is just sitting like those weird interviews of people sitting in a black <laughs> void with just black, you know on a director's chair. <laughs> with just the name of the movie behind them and there's God knows where, and you see them on HBO and flip past them because no one ever sees them. They do those. And you sit in a room and they're, you know, you for hours and different people come in and interview you for four minutes. So you have to, they ask you the same questions. You have to say the same shit. And when I started doing that, if I said something funny, I felt like, Initially like, well, I can't say that I mean that was a good I know that was a good joke answer for that <laughs> for that question, but I can't say it again just out of you know, out of my own sense of pride. And then after a while you're like, Who fucking cares whether I say this to Byron e- Allen and the person <laughs> From, you know, I don't know, you know, from the Santa Barbara NBC affiliate. You it's know? so
3: true because there, there is that feeling of wanting to be original with everyone and have like a genuine interaction. Yeah. But they're asking you the same question over and over again. And it's not creative. So no. there's no there's no desire to like keep it going on your end to like make yeah. it interesting. Like you start to get so numb very quickly because it's the same it just feels like you're in Groundhog's Day, like, over and over. Just, like, a new person comes in, they ask you the same four questions, they leave, and that's it. And then no one ever sees it, like you said. Like, they, where do these videos go? Yeah. I don't know. I did a, I did a junket from Zoom during this quarantine for right. The Wrong Missy, and it was the weirdest. I was just, like, sitting in my house, just, like, sweating my ass off answering the same questions and then i got up and like did laundry one millisecond later like it's just a very weird <laughs> yeah yeah yeah
2: <laughs> experience, yeah but did uh was that the wrong missy is the biggest which you were really really great in that movie it was, oh, you're thank you. so funny in that movie thanks. and uh and i watched it because you're in it i you
0: know thanks this be,
2: did I, we'll cut that out no we won't <laughs> um But I, because I really was excited about the notion of you just getting to go big throughout an entire movie, you know, and it's so rare that you get a chance to do that.
3: Oh, yeah. I mean, anybody gets a chance to do that. No, it was it's totally true. It was so crazy for me to get to, like, play a role this big and get to improvise a lot within it and just have a lot of fun and be completely silly, just you know, for a good time. Like, I think the movie is just a good time. It's not trying yeah. to, like, make some statement and change the world. It's just a fun, silly, funny movie. Um, And that was, like, a dream come true. Like, just getting to, like, mess around and, and have fun. It was amazing. And I love David. I think he's so funny. So yeah. I was really excited to get to work with him.
2: How did that come about? How did, I mean, what was the process of getting that job like?
3: It just came through my agent. It was just, like, a regular audition that came in. And I, I, you know, go out on auditions all the time and don't get things. So it was just a random thing that I went out for. And I really went because David was already attached to it. And I was like, I just think he's great. Like I've always liked him my whole life. So <laughs> I was really excited uh, to get to potentially meet him, which didn't happen at the audition. Of course I knew it wouldn't, but I still went in with the like, Oh, that would be cool. I don't really care if I don't get it because that's the attitude you have to have about movies and everything. auditioning yeah, yeah. and everything. Um, And I uh I had a, a I thought I had a good audition um and I left and felt good about it but then just kind of forgot about it and then soon after I got the part so it was really just one of those standard ways of getting something Yeah. Um but it was very exciting for me to get to go to Hawaii and live in the Four Seasons for a month and Yeah. Yeah, it was, it was cool. Well,
2: I could, I didn't I mean I because I follow you on—I don't know whether it was Twitter or Instagram or both—but I just kept. I, I just remember thinking, because I—I think you had gotten married not too much long before, not too long yeah. before that, correct?
3: Yeah. Yeah. I got and married I just in was, October, 2018.
2: And I was like, "How fucking long is her honeymoon? She's been in Hawaii, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> for a year." I just, just like and, 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 <laughs> Jesus Christ, what how did I know you it was it was,
3: it was really nice uh, to get to go there. And I had done like a small role in an Adam Sandler movie years ago called Blended. I had a very small role in that, um, which was really exciting for me at the time. And so it was really cool because I got to work with a lot of the same people again. And I just I mean, it was really like, you know, most people didn't remember me from that movie, so it was kind of weird because I had this like distinct memory of like being there since it was so important to me. But I had yeah, like two yeah. lines, you know, um, and then being in this position. But yeah, getting to be in Hawaii—it's like so beautiful, and I wish I could live there. It's like the most idyllic place ever, especially when you're at a nice hotel. I mean, I, I I've never had that experience no, in my no, life. Yeah, so. no, I
2: <laughs> always, I always like the the most lux. You know, like the most luxurious things I've ever experienced were all like when I was not paying for it.
3: Like, right. Because right. I cannot it's, afford It's, it's like
2: <laughs> It's like when I fly coach and somebody will be like, what are you doing back here? And it's like, I'm paying for the ticket. Yeah, That's what I'm doing right yeah.
3: here. I'm it's, not going to pay gonna, thousands of dollars yeah. to sit four rows ahead.
2: <laughs> I'm not going yeah, to spend literally five times what this costs <laughs> just for a little yeah. more elbow room. Yeah. I know. Um was it on Oahu Were you shooting on Oahu or It
3: is that the big I, I honestly get confused every time I talk about Hawaii. I need to like study a map of Hawaii. Oahu it was Honolulu. Ha- Honolulu. Yeah, 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 is. yeah. Okay, yeah. yeah.
2: <laughs> Cuz there and the big island is called Hawaii and that's that's okay, a different one. That's that's yeah.
3: a different one. Okay, I was on Oahu. Mm-hmm.
2: Um and I <laughs> had a month to find this out. You could have like paid a little bit of attention.
3: This is truly, it's embarrassing. I've been to Hawaii like four times. Uh, One other time was for work and then uh, two times for for pleasure. And I was confused every time i ha- I have no way of justifying my confusion about where i have been and why on hawaii islands i get confused i just don't know i it's something i can't keep <laughs> straight not that many it's not it's not, not, like it's not confusing it's not confusing it's just something i have a problem
2: with <laughs> yeah yeah it, was stupid. your husband able to come with you
3: he this? did come out for a uh, like a weekend to hang oh, out nice. for a little bit. Yeah, nice. it was really nice. But it's it's weird during. I mean, because this was the biggest role I've ever had in something, so I was very busy and um, working so hard, which I really enjoyed. But didn't get to, you know, it wouldn't have made as much sense to have him come out there for a long time. But it was yeah. nice to have a little weekend.
2: There was, uh, and I I te- you know I tend to. I've been through a lot of therapy, so I tend to psychologize a lot of stuff. But, like, mm-hmm. one thing I noticed in that movie is, like, well, you kind of end up, you know, like, winning so or whatever. Curious. You know what I mean? You know what I yeah. mean? Like, you, you, yeah. there is a happy ending. It's like, that movie dumped so much shit on you. Literally. <laughs> like, you were so often, like, I was soaking with things, wet, doused, with covered things.
3: in mud. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
2: And I mean, is that weird? Do you start to feel like this movie doesn't like me? Like, you know, yes. It's like
3: yes. I mean, it was me at
2: every turn.
3: It was funny, but it's and I mean, I enjoy getting to play someone who is an idiot who's getting like, you know, shit on basically literally same. the entire time. It's like, I'm it's fun. Yeah. And I've got yeah. to play it
2: a lot. Yeah.
3: It's very fun, Um, but yeah, you know, you have to keep your like um, that that complaining part of you just has to like shut up. Like, I mean, I I truly was like, I'm not going to complain. I think I barely complained, but there's that that part of your brain is screaming like, I'm freezing. Yeah. Oh my god! Like, (laughs) but you know, it's like you. No one wants to be around someone who's like complaining about the job the entire time. And I'm like, I am lucky to be there. It's it was a big role for me, so it's awesome. But there was a point where we had to use. Um, fish guts to there. I get fish guts thrown in my face and they were real fish guts because the fake ones didn't arrive in time. And so they were throwing like actual stinky fish and bones into my hair and face and mouth. And then I had to throw up over the side of the boat with like cold soup in my mouth, which we just kept doing over and over again. And like that actually makes you want to really throw up. Like it's just like... You know, sitting on a boat where I'm getting seasick, and and people are like combing fish bones out of my hair, and then doing it again one minute later. It's like it's a lot, but also yeah, yeah. really fun. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Very and weird. It,
2: have you ever had to say no to a bit?
3: Um, with this, I didn't. I truly was. I don't like, mean in
2: that movie particularly. Yeah, because I, I was just generally. down for
3: whatever was happening, really. But, um. In general, I I don't know that I really have had to say no. Um, Maybe there were... I mean, I I think over the years I've pushed myself to try everything as much as I can, like to the best of my ability with stunt-related things like that, that like you... I think if it got to a point where I was genuinely um, in pain or something, I would say no. But like for the most part, I'm willing to try stuff. Like I remember doing a web series when I first moved to LA and they wanted me to like you know, shoot a gun while like flying onto a mat, like sideways, really hard to do. Um, You have to be strong to do that. And I was not at all. And I still tried it, even though it was like a waste of everyone's time. (laughs) But I think now I might go, oh, I know I can't do that. And with this movie, like there were plenty of things that like physically I wouldn't be able to do. Like I had three stunt doubles who did amazing work like jumping off the side of the boat into the water and like i'm not a good swimmer so that stuff freaks me out and i would never try and yeah. so there was a girl who was amazing and did that and i mean i think i know my limits with certain things like but i'm still i still push myself and even with swimming like i'm going underwater it's not something i'm comfortable with but i had to do it a lot during that movie because my character like goes underwater and comes up being a character and like i didn't want to even share that i was uncomfortable because sometimes like doing i knew that i still had to achieve the goal and so if i share that i'm uncomfortable then suddenly everyone's aware that i hate this or that this is hard for me and then it makes me feel like crying so i think there's just the feeling of like i'm just gonna shut up and do this even though i get nervous going underwater and then just get through it but how very
2: illinois of you (laughs) i think that's a i think that's a huge thing it's like you are probably true You get that, especially from Chicago Improv. Nobody's more important than the group. Yeah. Say yes, do everything, but you know, but then, eventually, you do. There's times when you have to say no to stuff, and there's yeah, and there's and I've said no to things where like there's like jokes that are just so fucking clammy and awful that I don't want to do them you have to get to a point where you can do that, where you can say that. But I think
3: that's definitely like a part of growing through your career where you're able to go, Oh, I don't want to say that thing. Or like that doesn't, that joke doesn't like that. That's something that doesn't speak to me or whatever. Like people will listen to you a lot more, the more um, work you've done, the more you've proven yourself and people are more willing to be collaborative with you at that point. But I think there is a feeling when you're coming up that like, it's not really my place to criticize this or to question this or, you know, there's that, that definitely is a, a growing pain. I think of, of this type of career where you get to a point of comfort to be able to say, I'm not going to do this or that, but um, it's cool to like be getting there. I feel like I'm getting there. So (laughs) I'm excited about that. Yeah. Yeah.
2: I mean, I've told this, I've told a story before about, uh, I mean, one, one that I remember was, uh, it was one of the times I was on Arrested Development when it was still on Fox and I play quintuplets, which was an insult. <laughs> like I was on a show because called Quintuplets. <laughs> so when they hired, when they wrote me into the show, they're like, oh, by the way, you're, you're quintuplets. That's you're,
3: hilarious. You're
2: one of many quintuplets. And they, just because they knew that it they was- They could just mess with had, you. Yeah. They just had to reference <laughs> that I was on the show Quintuplets. That is hilarious. But there, I go to, I, I'm playing myself, uh, you know, which I was like willing to like play a showbiz loser in the thing, you know, like I go to, I go to visit my brother who runs the school and there was a line that like, okay, I'm talking to Jason Bateman and I say like, if you see my brother, tell him I'm in the cafeteria. And because earlier in the thing, like I asked, and I asked him, he wants me to do this fundraiser and I'm like, well, is there a dinner? And he says, yeah. And then I say, okay. <laughs> and I was doing those lines as if I was a showbiz loser, whereas they wanted me to do them as if I was really obsessed with food and would do <laughs> anything for food. Like I'm a fucking, like, you know, like I'm, <laughs> like I'm wimpy and there's a cheeseburger, and so I'm going <laughs> to crawl across the volcano. And I just, I said, I, I didn't even understand what they were asking me because they kept going like, we want you to read it different, you know? like And I just was like, uh-huh. well, I finally was... I finally was like, oh, do you mean I just want to go to the cafeteria because I just am so crazy about eating food? And there's like, and they were like, yeah. And I said, oh, so you mean Fatty loves to eat? Like Fatty can't control himself. Fatty would do anything just to get that food in his fat fucking mouth. Is that what you mean? And they're like, yeah. I was like, no, I'm not going to do it that way. I'm not going to do it that way. I just am not. That's great. You know? Yeah. 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 And I and they were, you know, the director actually said, like, I've never had an actor just flat out tell me no.
3: Yeah. I was like, it's really rare. I think it's really
2: proud. Like, okay, Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. You know,
3: but that's but that's part of it. It's like we're kind of conditioned to um, to have the idea that we don't have a say. Yeah. yeah. you know, and I mean, especially when you're. It, that feels much more true when you're younger, nervous, it's your first jobs, whatever, like you don't know what's going on. Of course, I'm not going to argue about this line with someone. I'm just going to try to say it properly. Yeah. Um. But yeah, I think that's like, it's like you have to like get co- so confident with yourself to be able to say that. I don't know. It's yeah. an interesting thing. It,
2: you know, well, yeah, it's, you get, it, it does, you just get, you, I think you just get used to it where you're like, and you just feel like, I also feel like I know the difference between me being unreasonable and me going, well, I just don't want to. That do that. I don't want to that serve is very true. That is very true. Yeah, and then yeah. there have been other things that are just like not even artistic things. Like I, I hosted a game show, and they wanted that. I saw the people that were working on the game show over filming some, like doing like a you know a testimonial into the camera, and then they came to get me and they said, "Here, this is." what you're going to do here is you're going to say hi to the exec it's the birthday of the executive that's going to green light this show and we just want you to tell her how much you hope she likes the show and and uh and that she <laughs> you know you hope that she picks up the show and wish her a happy birthday i was like no
3: yeah, it feels like, so gonna, sad. Oh, it's so close.
2: <laughs> it's so groveling. I was that like, that is. It, it's like, and there's a
3: video of you begging for her to pick it up.
2: Like, yeah. <laughs> I hope you like me. Did like, you I like just, it? Happy birthday. Like, yeah, that just feels crazy. I just was like, no, I was like, and if that's the difference between this totally. show getting picked up and not getting picked up, this show should not get picked up. You know?
3: Well, and that's sad on that person's part that they need a video for their birthday asking yes. it, for it to get picked up for them to like see the value in it.
2: And it tells you something about the person. Like, yeah, per- like, like people wouldn't yeah. be doing that unless that person was susceptible to that kind of yes. bullshit, you know? Well,
3: and you must, you must over the years, like through working on a talk show, you must have seen like so many things like that over the years of just. The ways in which people are needy or um, expect certain things—I'm guessing. Oh,
2: oh, abs- Yeah, no. It, well, yeah, Jen. It's it's really is rare that you get like, you know, complete fucking assholes about yeah. stuff. I mean, it's just it's nobody has the energy, and usually, people that are going to be that bad don't work. They they end up not getting work. So you know, the people who are established. They at least know how to, you know, they always have someone else do the dirty work of
3: yeah, get that
2: fucking guy out of here, or whatever, you know, <laughs> you know, or there's, you know, I mean, there's ones like, uh, you know, Tommy Lasorda loudly farting in front of everyone. Oh, my and then, God. And, then, and everyone going like, what? And then going and then his reaction was, what? A guy's got to fart. That was, oh, that my was God. <laughs> OK. All right. Tommy Does Shorter. a
3: guy? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't feel like uh, yeah, they have yeah.
2: to. <laughs> yeah. I mean, eventually, but not right now. <laughs> you know. That's um, sick. so. What do you got coming up? I mean, I you know. Tonight you're doing an, a podcast. I uh,
3: am doing a live show on a live stream. I mean, don't, um,
2: don't, don't, it'll be over by the time this is It's over, over. So don't yeah, even try yeah. to figure
3: it out. It was, um, it
2: was yeah. <laughs> I have Make a podcast. happen.
3: <laughs> I have a podcast called Newcomers that I host with Nicole Byer where we watch Star Wars for the first time. And we just had our season finale, and we just announced that we'll be doing Lord of the Rings for the next one. We both never oh, wow. seen Lord of the Rings, and I'm not excited. And we just watched all of Star Wars, and let me tell you, it's a lot of content. So if anyone's curious to how hear many, how we felt about it. How many Star
2: Wars are there? We
3: watched, okay, I think there's 10 or 11 movies, and then we, we did 20 episodes, so we filled them with like TV shows and toys and right. different topics related. Um, that is a and lot. It was, It was a lot. And the movies are all like two and a half hours long, which is just very long. Um, And then I have a Patreon where I'm doing um, improv and other podcasts and like watch alongs where you can sync me up with like TV or movies. And it's like an audio commentary. And then I'm also doing a a podcast on that Patreon about the Babysitter's Club series that just came to Netflix because I love (laughs) it. And I'm so excited (laughs) about it. So I'm talking about that with really funny people. And it's been great. Um, but yeah, I mean like you know, it's quarantine, so I'm like I don't know what's going to happen next. I I had jobs lined up and I was in the middle of shooting a couple things right when it shut down, so like I don't know if those will come back or like if I'll get to do any of this stuff. I was supposed to like uh host something that got pushed, so I'm curious if it'll ever um happen. I'm kind of in that zone right now where I just I'm just trying to take it day by day and just do my little things from home that I can control. And not have any expectation because it was so exciting to have the movie come out during this time when, you know, it was like a really weird disappointment to be stuck at home during it. But also it was cool because I feel like people watched it because they were bored at home. So it was kind of nice. But there's not this like tangible feeling of like work leading to other work that you might typically feel. I was going to say, I
2: bet you kind of feel because that is such a showcase. That movie is such a showcase for you. Yeah, that you were. it's yeah. the kind of thing where you hope, like, okay, somebody's going to see this, and I'm going to get something even better.
3: Yeah, that's the hope. And like, I've been having like meetings and stuff, and like talking to people about things, but it's all very, um, you know, hypothetical. So yeah, I'm just, um, it's kind of weird to like have a moment during this weird time where, of course, I'm also like depressed and scared and anxious most of the time as well, but also like hopeful a little bit of hopefulness mixed in there so that yeah. I'm thankful. I'm like holding onto that pretty tightly, but um, I don't know what to expect. And I'm kind of scared about people going back to work on sets and being like, you know, exposed. I just think it's um, dangerous and I'm seeing that certain productions have started up and I just, I don't know. I don't want to get in there too soon Yeah, is how I feel.
2: Have you? I mean, how have you held up emotionally? Has it been rough? I mean, have you...
3: I think I'm doing okay, and I have been going to therapy on Zoom, which yeah. um, has been really great. I didn't do it for the first couple months. I like took a a step back from going to therapy, and then I started again, and I've been so glad because it's just so nice to have a place to vent and cry and not feel like you're being annoying to anyone. Yes.
2: No, no, exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: No. You, so yeah.
3: that's been great. Um, that's kind of been controlling me a bit. I think kind of keeping me at an even. Heal for most of the other times of the week but you know i have moments of complete panic i think i one thing i've sort of developed during this time is like a bit of a hypochondriac tendency that i didn't have before where i'm ever i can feel everything in my body at all times mm-hmm. and like i'm like i have a i have a cramp like you know like, i'm like very like aware my breathing's tight like every little thing and that's um i think kind of forming from my anxiety within this moment. And so. thinking
2: that you had yeah, no, I mean every every kind of like moment that I've had allergy related post nasal drip, I'm like, well, there's the it's COVID. It's over. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I got the COVID.
3: <laughs> How have you been handling it? I mean, are your kids with you during some of this or they like, back and forth? I mean
2: they split time I live both my wife and I live in my ex wife and I live in Burbank, and the they, oh that's the nice kids, that close. so the kids come and go i mean, and I yeah. actually sort of get the uh i they 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 stay with me they, they each have a bedroom in my house, but they don't stay with me as much as obviously that they stay in their home, which has been their home like yeah, you know for years and years um So I also don't get, I think my ex-wife gets the short end of the stick just in terms of the overexposure. Yeah. I mean, I think my kids and I would be fighting a lot more if they stayed with me.
3: Yeah. Just because
2: you got it. And I mean, and so much of it, and then, you know, because I still get pulled into sometimes to mediate these disputes and to be a part of these disputes. And so much of it is just- A a loud primal scream of (laughs) arg, you know, I'm tired of your face. I'm tired of this place. I'm tired of everything. Yeah.
3: I know. It's really crazy too with like being stuck in your house and like just feeling like you get sick of every square inch. It's like, I just hate it here.
2: (laughs) What were you going to (laughs) say? The thing that I'm coping with now is that I was, I really worked hard in the first. And I mean, it's crazy how many months you talk about it that, you know, you're like in the first three months, like what it's, but I, I was really pretty good about, you know, just keeping like keeping things neat, just generally like throughout my whole life, keeping things neat. And after a while, I just was like, what? who gives a shit if the dishes aren't done? (laughs) Who gives a shit if like, yeah, I, know. yeah I, I see that pile of dog hair in the corner of the room. It's yeah, it's it'll be there tomorrow, too. And I'll eventually <laughs> document. But I just
3: you know, I just I just don't. It's like, what's the point of of that's so funny? There's like uh, we have um a, two two bathrooms and one of them we never really use. Like, I mean, we use the toilet, but not the tub in that one. It's just a worse tub. We just don't use it. Yeah. And there's. I noticed these little bugs like like little teeny winged bugs. I don't know what they are, but they were there were like three of them dead in the tub. And then I didn't do anything about it. And then like the next day I went in there and I was like, oh, they're still there. Like I did. There was just this feeling of like, oh, they're still there. And then, (laughs) by the way, I don't have like a cleaning lady ever or something like it's up to me to get rid of them at all times. But. Then I said to my husband, like, did you notice there's like those little bikes? He's like, yeah. And I was like, and you don't pick them up? And he's like, no. And I was like, meaning <laughs> we had this conversation about how like we both just haven't reached in and just gotten them out of there. We just like have looked at them every day for a week. Yeah. And I don't know. There's just like this despondent despondent sort of like feeling that comes into play of like it just doesn't matter. I don't really, I don't have anyone coming over. It's not embarrassing that there's a bug that's dead right there. I I don't care. I see it for 30 seconds and then leave the room. Yeah. It's just weird, though, because that's like not how I am. But you start to just not care.
2: Well, yeah. I mean, it is like, well, what's the what what difference does it make? Like, what difference does it make that? You know, I need a haircut. It does, you know, yeah. like my hair is long and it's driving me crazy and getting in my eye. I'm like, I don't care, you know, like I know I'm not going to anybody's going to see it. Um, But yeah, it's it it's it, it is you do need. I mean, I don't know. I mean, you know, the notion that you're supposed to kind of everything is supposed to be self-motivated. And that, like, you know, you find, your, you know, like, you you have your mission statement in your mind of what life, what you want out of life and what you're going to do. and And that you just, you know, upkeep yourself just because it's good to upkeep yourself. And I just realized, oh, no, I live completely for other people. I live <laughs> completely, you know, like. The only it's reason it's all
3: about the external forces. The
2: only, yeah. well yeah. It's like I, I I receive my kind of I mean not all of it, but like most of no, my yeah, motivation I get that, comes from other people. Because it's like when other people say, uh you know, what's wrong with you? Why are you so grumpy? I realize, oh I'm kind of being an asshole. And when they see me, right. happy to see me then I realize, oh no, I'm being a good person now. You know, like I'm I'm okay.
3: Yeah. And
2: I just You know, like those bugs in the tub. There's bugs in my. You know, I have the same thing. My, there's. I have two bathrooms. There's bugs in the tub. What?
3: what You know. What are you gonna do? Who cares? No one's. No one's gonna see it. Bugs in
2: the tub. No one's gonna see (laughs) it. And if I don't use this bathroom, I won't see them you know exactly (laughs) and i mean i've been
3: noticing that with myself with like clothing that i i just don't i wear the same three t-shirts over and over again i'm like i don't care and these are the best ones and i might as well just get rid of everything else because no one sees me i don't want to wear my uncomfortable clothes that look nice or whatever like i'm just i just don't but there's something kind of comforting about that too like it's not totally depressing i think there's something about it where i'm like no, I'm just kind of leaning into like what feels true. Like I don't need to put on a fancy outfit. I'll just put on this same t-shirt and jeans every single day. Not even jeans. I wouldn't do that in quarantine. But like sweatpants or shorts or whatever. Yeah. And just be comfortable and just get my shit done and then just have another day. Like I don't know. It's like to me that's – there's something okay about that. It doesn't feel like giving up. It feels kind of just like accepting the reality that we're in yeah. and feeling okay about it. Like I, I'm not – I think I'm depressed that we have to go through this. And I am really sad that this is happening. And I'm devastated that it's that this is so real and people are dying. But I'm also trying to go like I can control my day to a certain extent and make it as like full and good and as I possibly can by just, you know, doing a podcast or like, Watching something I enjoy, trying to read a book, going for a walk. It's all very simple, but, like, it does help me when I have a busy day. Like, the other day on the 4th of July, I did nothing but binge watch Search Party all day, which is a great show. Mm
0: -hmm. But
3: I watched it for 10 hours. And then I was like, I don't feel good about myself. (laughs) I, I like, I'm like, I can't do this every day. Like, this is not okay. I, I have to go. I have to have some sense of normalcy. Yeah. But...
2: Do you, um, I mean, let's kind of in, in summing up and kind of, you know, looking back because the the third question of this is, you know, uh, what have you learned? And kind of on that, I want to ask you, like, do you feel like you made mistakes that you wish you had done differently?
3: Yes. I feel like I've made plenty. Um, I think, (sighs) I mean, so many of them are, like, relationship-based or, like, um, friendship-based. But I think, like, that's that's what comes to mind initially. Um, I was married before, so, like, I have that sort of in my past as, like, oh, that was all, all handled wrong for various reasons without getting into, like, my personal life or whatever. Right, but, right. like, I look back and think, like, oh, I, if I had known more I could have done it differently. I could have handled that differently or all these different things along the road getting to that point. And I think, you know, for me, I was not married very long. So it's not, it's okay, whatever. I mean, like that, I wouldn't, I, when I look at someone like you and what you went through, I think of that as like a successful marriage because you had so many years and created like an amazing family. And like, I think that's like, that's a success. And I don't know if you see it that same way, but I, I do. Yeah.
2: And thank you for saying that. Yeah.
3: Yeah. Like, I think that that's really amazing. What
2: what ways are, are you proud of yourself? I mean, what are sort of things that you feel like I did that right? Or, you know, or that you feel proud of yourself just in sort of like where you stand in, in your life and, you know, your personal life and your, and your professional life.
3: I feel proud of myself for building my career. Like I I had no um family connection or anything that would have like shown me how to do this. And it really was self-motivated to pursue all of this, all of these dreams. Um, And thankfully I had a support system. It's not to say they didn't help me, but that they, I, there was nobody explaining how to do it. And so I'm really proud of myself for like being scared and still pursuing all of this and like, and putting myself into like, situations that were like beyond me in so many ways. Um, And I'm proud of myself for, you know, even just in all my regrets and all of my mistakes and things that I look back on and um, feel were the hardest parts of my life beyond just that experience with that relationship, but just the many other mistakes I've made. I feel like I'm proud of myself for the growth that I've had and for going to therapy, which I think is like so important, but I didn't start doing that until I was in my thirties. And like, that was amazing for me and and just to have a place to talk things out um safely so i'm proud of myself for doing that because that's not something that i've seen you know in my personal life it it's just from my being inspired by friends and people around me that i um feel like i've been able to grow and i i feel proud of myself for for trying to make myself better as much as i can so yeah so your folks yeah.
2: nobody in your family ever went to therapy or anything or?
3: no it's not it's not common in my extended family i would say but really um i think i even the mid i think it's kind of a midwest thing i don't know if you would agree with that but i don't know anyone who was doing that when i was growing up
2: yeah
3: it was not common so it's not even like a it's not even like oh my parents didn't try that it's like that no one's doing that like yeah, i don't yeah it wasn't like i was hearing about it all the time and like maybe they're just go.
2: perfect and happy <laughs>
3: yeah they're per- everyone's perfect so we don't need to go to therapy we don't to talk anything out
2: yeah, sorry. <laughs> why break? Why fix something that isn't broken? Uh, yeah, no, actually, I mean, my mom, one thing she did great was that she uh, always was open to professional help, even from when I was a kid. And, you know, like she had a new marriage and I think that's when we, and we, the adjustment mm-hmm. between having a stepdad and, you know, like that, caused some issues and we as a family actually went to like some kind of you know counselor to kind of talk it out so um, that's nice but yeah no therapy's like the it's i mean i've said it before it's like it take for me it takes the place i I mean it makes me understand what religion does for people in terms of oh yeah giving you a sense a sense of progress and a sense like just a reason for things yeah you know yeah and a and a sense of hopefulness that they're going to get better, like you know, I, I, I yes. that that situation used to fuck me up a lot worse than it does now, and I'm I'm learning to deal with it, and that being like such a huge relief mm-hmm. compared to just feeling like, oh no, I'm just going to keep eating the same pile of shit over and over and over, yeah. Yeah. yeah,
3: yeah. And I I that's something where I think like, oh, if I had started that in my 20s, I probably would have been more self aware and able to make proper decisions in my life um you know and relationships like i think when i like think about everything i I've, I've talked about in therapy and worked on it things just come up so so strangely in therapy like i feel like you go in thinking you don't have anything to say and then there's so much and the, it goes all these different ways and there's always something new and like I mean, I often don't want to go. I don't want to, most of the time, I don't want to do it. And I tell her that like every time. I'm like, I didn't want to go, but I'm glad I came here and talked about this and whatever. Um, but it's so, it's so, I think it's like, it is, it does take a lot of like self motivation to go to therapy. But I think, and if anyone's listening and they've been thinking about it, you should try it. Cause it's, yeah. it's, especially maybe on Zoom, it's even better. I don't know. It's less intimidating because you're not going to like some weird office.
2: Yeah. No, I mean, <laughs> It does seem like, yeah, this would be a pretty good time to start therapy uh, for quite, for most For everyone, we're all
3: going through horrible shit
2: Well, uh, Lauren, thank you so much for uh, taking some time and uh, breaking out the pink curtain You've got a nice pink curtain (laughs) up behind you, which no one on the podcast can see it's I I imagine it. I just like to think it's hiding a hoarder house behind it.
3: I honestly I was thinking the same thing. Like if I pulled this back and there was just like piles of cereal boxes and newspapers, right, and... right,
2: <laughs> just garbage like old TV trays and. Like
3: know. I mentioned, the three bugs in my tub, but that's actually like the cleanest part of my whole house.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the bugs escaped to there just to, to get away from the mess. Well, uh, is there
3: anything you want
2: to you want to let people know that's coming up? Anything you got to plug? Is there just? You, I mean, you already mentioned your podcasts and stuff. Or? Yeah,
3: follow my Patreon. You know, that's where I'm doing. I'm making a lot of content, keeping everyone entertained as much as I can during the trying times. So yeah. follow me. Do you, you know, do that for I
2: yourself. Do you do that for yourself mostly? You think? Do you keep? I mean, are you someone the that Patreon? needs to be busy?
3: On one hand, yes. I mean, I started this in November, so it wasn't just because of being in the quarantine, but I do, I started the Patreon because I really wanted to have a space where I could do different things from week to week. Like I've been doing so many serialized podcasts for the last few years that I wanted to be able to change it and do whatever I want. So that was the, that was the decision behind it, but it is interesting to, when you ask that question, I'm like, maybe partly it is for me because it's a relatively small base that I'm reaching because it's you know it's a subscription platform as opposed to like a podcast that is free where you get t- tens of thousands of listeners or whatever. That there's um maybe an element of it that is for me, but I I don't know.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, nah, that's I the like the th-
3: community. The community yeah. is really nice on Patreon because it's people who are signing on to like follow you specifically. And so it's people who want to engage and they're like nice. So I yeah. really like that.
2: Yeah. Yeah. That it's is not nice.
3: like Reddit. Yeah.
2: <laughs> and you do, and you do feel like, well, they already like me. So I can, you, it, I imagine it, it lends itself to some experimentation, you know. Just totally. Like, yeah. I'll try this because who cares? Every, you know, it's a safe it's yeah. A space.
3: Yeah. Yeah. It's fun.
2: Well, again, thank you and uh, good luck. And I, uh, you know, I hope to see you someday on campus when school opens again. Me too. Um, yeah. And uh, and again, Lauren Lapkus, thank you. And thank you all at home for listening. And uh, check out her Patreon.
3: Yes, Patreon. please. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
2: it's such a funny word. All right. Uh, that's the three questions. We're done. Uh, see you next time. Thanks.
3: I've got a big, big love.